usually what that means is hold on. I mean, it's usually like buckle up because I don't know how this is going to go. She looks at me and says, and she doesn't even know I'm going to say this. She looks at me and says, no offense, but you actually were pretty patient and calm. And I thought, okay, thanks, I guess. I'm not really sure exactly. But, but what, she's, what she was trying to say is normally you would like, want to punch the guy in the throat, you would want to like, you would yell, you would scream, you would cuss, whatever the case may be, but you handled yourself pretty well. And so my point being this, yes, I think God, it wasn't on my own doing. If it was up to me, I would have done some sort of bodily harm. Like, let's, I mean, I'm more of a lover than a fighter, but I could have taken the guy is what I'm saying. But uh, it wasn't that funny. But... <laughs> But, God's, but God has, like, taken away some of my anger. He's taken away some of my impatience. He's taken away some of those things, and I continue to grow. But yet, when I look at the book of James, I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to be frank. Can I be frank? When I look at the book, book of James, I'm like, crap, I've got a long ways to go. And so I want us to understand as we look at this that it's like, yes, we have a long ways to go, but when we try to do it on our own power, we fail. But when we allow God to change us, to mold us, to make us more like him, he grows us and makes us more like him. So, um, and so here's a few of the themes that we looked at in the book of James. James talked to us about being servants. He talked to us a little bit about how we can consider trials joy, which, you know, we really enjoyed that week. We loved it. We talked a little bit about how can we be both hearers and doers, okay, not just coming to church and listening to what it says and saying, oh, good sermon, and then you don't ever do anything with it. So that's one of the things it talks about. Talked a little bit about mercy. How can we also grow in our faith? How can we mature in our faith? Wisdom, okay, that one was a fun week. Talked about wisdom, godliness, humility. So as we look at these things that James talks about, it, it it kind of can be frustrating because you're like, okay, maybe I'm not the same as I used to be, but I also realize that I'm not where I should be. And it, it can be a little bit challenging. Here's another reason why I think it's super challenging. I think it's super challenging because American culture kind of sets us up a little bit. American culture teaches us that if you just try a little bit harder, if you discipline yourself more, if you get up earlier, if you stay up later, if you read more, if you do these things, you can do it. And I want to tell you this morning that if you try to become better on your own strength, you will fail. You'll fail. But American culture teaches us that you can do it, and the reality is you can't. And so that secret sin that you have that you don't want to know anybody you don't want to tell anybody about that you've been struggling with for 20 years. You think that if you just try a little bit harder that you can get rid of it. And the reality is you can't. The reality is unless you have this relationship with Jesus and he begins to change you and make you more like him, it's the only way that your life will change permanently. Yes, okay, you can discipline yourself to be moral for a little bit. You can discipline yourself to make the right decision once. But if you, unless you allow God to begin to enter into your heart, enter into your mind, change the way that you think, change the way that you act, you will continually, only temporarily succeed. He's got to change you. He's got to mold you. So we're going to wrap this up. Uh, the book of James, uh, chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Um, 
we really, the reality is we could probably take these last, I don't know off the top of my head exactly how many verses it is because we're starting, I think, in verse 7. But um, if you took the rest of these verses, you could actually probably spend about six weeks talking about it. But So the goal is for me to cram that all into one week um, and try to do it quickly. So we're going to go fast. We're going to run through this. If you have questions, I would encourage you to, to do a little more study. Come talk to me afterwards. Talk to Tori afterwards because there's a lot of extra interesting stuff. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is have you noticed that in our culture, we like everything quickly, everything? We talked about this a few weeks ago. I think the downfall of American society or society in general is the microwave. Like it's really, the microwave causes us a lot of issues because we think that therefore we can get everything quickly. We want it fast. We want it fast. And I even said, and, and only three people understood what I was saying, so I'll say it slower this time. I even said that sometimes when I put something in the microwave, I actually will push 1-1 one, one instead of 1-0 because 1-1 one, one is faster. Okay, we want everything fast. When you get in line to go through whatever McDonald's or Chick Fil A, and if it la- if you're in line for more than thirty seconds, it gets really frustrating. Most of you in the room have no idea when I use the term dial up. You don't even know what I'm talking about. But there used to be this thing in the internet where you couldn't even talk on the phone at the same time, and it took you a long time to connect. And it took you like you could. It took you minutes. I, you need to understand this clearly. It took you minutes to receive an email minutes. Now we get frustrated. We're trying to download a document and it takes more than 10 seconds. We're like, who has time for this? And we just get mad and quit. We want everything fast. We want it so fast that most fast food places now don't have one line. They have two. Actually, I think there's a new Chick-fil-A that just opened on 183 and I think they got three or four lanes just because they want you to get your food fast. We want everything so fast that it actually becomes difficult for us to have patience. But here's what's interesting. As we look at these few verses in James at the beginning when it talks about patience, it actually is talking about something different than waiting in line. Like, and this is, this is a struggle. Like, I don't like to wait in line, therefore I don't even like what James is saying, but it's more than just waiting in line. It's more than just not punching somebody in the throat. It's more than waiting for a while to get your download. What James is talking about is something in addition to that. It's not just about waiting in line. It's about growing your faith. It's much deeper than that. And so as we look at that, keep that in mind, okay? James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Like, and he just says it at the very beginning. Be patient. Like he just lays it out there. Be patient. And it's more than waiting in line. Keep that in mind. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So I think there's two quick things that we can learn from those first uh, two verses there in James chapter 5 as we looked at them. The first one is simply this. Be patient because your father is coming back. I, I, I don't know about you, but it, sometimes I don't, I don't think about that. It's difficult, but our father is coming to get us. Be patient. Like whatever it is that you're dealing with today, the struggles that you have today, what James is saying is be patient. Be patient. No matter how bad your life is right now, be patient because he's coming back. I don't know if you ever had this experience as a kid, and and I want to explain it just briefly. As a kid, maybe you fell down and you scraped your knee, or you got stuck in the the little tubes at the top of McDonald's playground or whatever, and you didn't know what to do. 
And you just kind of, you started, you, you wouldn't admit this now probably, but you started crying a little bit. And you, caught, you start asking dad. And you just hope that he can come squeeze into the tube to get you out. You hope that he can make your knee feel better. And then when your dad shows up, it's a little bit of a relief. Oh, my dad is here. Some of you didn't have that experience because you don't have a relationship with your dad. So some of you don't know what that's like. On either hand, whether you had that experience as, as a human being with an earthly father or whether you didn't, this verse says, be patient because your heavenly father is coming for you. No matter how hurt you are, no matter how, what's going on in your life, no matter the struggles that you have, these two verses say, be patient because your father's coming back. He's coming for you. Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, reminds us of this. And I want you to just, like I know sometimes you don't focus when people read to you, but I just want you to focus, and it'll be on the screen, so I'll read it if you want. But listen to what it says, Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It talks about Jesus coming for us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Don't miss what this says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus is coming for you. Your Father is coming for you. And so in those moments when you don't know what to do and you don't know how to respond and you can't believe that life could be any worse because it's really bad for you right now, James says, Be patient because God is coming for you. He's coming back. The second thing that it actually says for us is to be patient because God is accomplishing something in you. Like we, we don't like this, um, it's not fun, but so remember what we read in verse seven and eight, it says, be patient like the farmer's patient because there's sometimes it rains early, sometimes it rains late. And I, and I know that most of you probably didn't grow up on a farm, so you don't have that experience of wondering what's gonna happen, is the crop gonna grow, is it not gonna grow, is it gonna be too hot, is it gonna be too wet, is it gonna be too dry? The verse says, be patient because God is accomplishing something in you. So right now, you may be going through something and you don't understand why, you don't like it, you ask him to take it away and he doesn't take it away, be patient because he's growing, he's doing something in you, be patient. You may not know now how he's gonna use it, you may not know what the result is gonna be, be patient, he's working in you. Just like the crops take a while to grow, he's working on you, be patient. It's more than being patient waiting in line. It's be patient because he's working on you. He's working in you. And when he, don't miss this, when he works on you and when he works in you, the reason he does that is because he desires to work through you. The third thing that we notice is, so be patient with each other. Uh, we could spend all day on this one. We, I'll try to make it a little quick. So we talk about be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient, God is accomplishing something in you. And now third, be patient with each other. We could spend all day, but we won't do this. But verse nine, it simply says this. Do not grumble against one another. 
I mean, we could pretty much stop right there, right? I mean, isn't that painful? Honestly. Because here's what's going to happen. If you're not patient and careful, you'll get in the car today and you'll say, I can't believe that Bob spoke so long. I can't believe that Joey didn't sing the song that I liked. I can't believe that the coffee tasted like this. I can't believe that they did the signs like that. Like, we start grumbling, right? I can't believe that the person sat next to me, they couldn't even sing, and it messed me up. I couldn't, I couldn't sing. <laughs> you, and so we start grumbling, right? We start grumbling. It says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Quickly, here's what this is saying to you and me. Here's what James is saying. Be careful not to grumble. Be patient with the person sitting next to you. Be patient with your friends. Be patient with your family. You know why? Because they receive the same grace that you receive. You receive the same grace that they receive. And then it goes on to say, because the reality is the judge, the one who can really judge, he's standing in the doorway watching you. So be careful. Don't judge. Don't grumble. Don't be careful when you do this. And the other thing that I think James is alluding to a little bit here, or maybe this is just me kind of reading into it a little bit, but the other thing that he's alluding to here is simply you and I get grace upon grace. Like Jesus knew what he was getting when he died on the cross for you. Like he knew. He knew the things that you would think. He knew the things that you would say. He knew the things that you would do. And yet he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. And he offers you grace upon grace and he doesn't run out. And yet you and I don't really offer grace to the people next to us very often. And we think more highly of ourselves than we should. And Jesus says, I offer you grace. Why can't you offer them grace? Grace upon grace. And it kind of reminds me just a little bit, I mean, you've probably read the story, the parable. Jesus tells the parable of the man, and I'm making up numbers just for ease, but the man, this man, particular man, he owed somebody a million dollars, and they forgave his debt. The next day he goes out, and he has a few people that owe him a little bit. One guy owes him 100 bucks, and one guy owes him 10 bucks. He has them thrown in jail because they owe him money, and they won't pay. How quickly are we forgetting how much Jesus has forgiven us? We should remember how much he's forgiven us, and then that helps us be patient and offer forgiveness to others. Number four thing that we learned there, so let's just look at this again. The first thing that James tells us is be patient, the Lord is coming. Second thing, be patient, God is accomplishing something in you. Third thing, be patient with each other. Fourth thing, be patient, God's promises are true. Be patient, God's promises are true. I love this one. Look what it says in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. This is another word for patient. They stay strong. They don't waver. They're firm, steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So here's what's interesting. I don't know if you're familiar. I'm going to give you a quick overview of the story of Job and how that happens. But here's what's interesting. For those of you that do know ahead of time what's going to happen in the book of Job, James is using the book of Job, the guy, the man Job, as an encouraging story. Okay, that's what James, he's using it as an encouraging story. If you don't know the story of Job quickly, let me run through this, okay? Basically, 
God and Satan having a conversation, and Satan says, the reason that Job loves you so much, God, is because he has everything. He's got a great family. He's got a lot of wealth. Everything's going well for him. That's the reason. And God says, that's really not true, but whatever you think. And, he says, and Satan says, well, let me go test it. Let me take away his stuff. And God says, okay, I guess if you, want to th- if you think that makes a difference, Satan goes, his, all of his children die. All of his money disappears. And things are not going well for him. And yet, Job still worships, worships God and says, God, you are the greatest. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't had all my children die. I haven't lost everything that I own. Yes, I've had some struggles. Yes, you've had some struggles. And I don't want to make light of your struggles, but Job has this significant hardship going on, and yet he still lifts up the name of God and says, God, you are the greatest. Satan and God now have another conversation, and Satan says, you know what, God, I think the reason that he's still offering you praise, the reason he's still saying that you're the best is because he still has his health. Let me take that away. And God says, okay, fine, you can take away his health, just don't kill him. Job gets sores all over his body. He still has one person left in his wife, and it's his encouraging wife. That's the one person left in his life. That was a little bit of sarcasm, but and you'll understand why. He's got sores all over his body. He's like scraping his sores. He lost his entire family with the exception of his wife. He has no money. He has nothing. Now he's got this disease, and he's got sores all over his body, and he's scraping his body. And his wife says, his encouraging wife says, you know what would be really helpful? Why don't you just curse God and die? That was his encouraging wife. And yet, Job remembers the promises of God And he knows that he may not understand why, he may not understand how, but he knows that God has a purpose for his life and he's going to be steadfast. He's not going to to give in. He's not going to quit worshiping. He's going to love God with everything that he has, even though everything isn't much. And he continues to worship. And he continues to say that God is the best. And so, why is James using the book and the story of Job as an encouraging thing because everybody knows how it ends. Everybody, everybody that James is talking about knows that God meets him in his time of trial. He got, everybody knows that God heals him. Everybody knows that God encourages him, meets him where he's at. And what James is saying is be patient because God's promises are true. Sometimes in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our depression, we don't know how we're going to get out. We don't see an out. And James says, be steadfast. Be patient because God's promises are true. Number five, the fifth thing. So just as a reminder, be patient. The Lord is coming. Be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. Be patient with each other. Number four, be patient. God's promises are true. I always, not always, but most of the time I have my wife look over stuff because I don't know how to spell and I do make stupid mistakes and all that kind of stuff. And so I was having her look at this and she said, it says uh, be patient with each other twice. I think you, it's a typo, like you just copied and pasted something's, something's not right. Well, something's right. Something's very right. James knows that we struggle with this. And he knows that we struggle with it so much he tells us twice. It's not my mistake. It's not James' mistake. It's actually him saying, you struggle with this. You and I struggle with this. And I'm going to tell you twice, be patient with each other. And this is what it says, verse 12. But above all, 
So he's given us a list of things to be patient with. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Basically what he's saying here is that under the Levitical law, sometimes people would swear by the name of God to add extra power or extra strength or extra like it's going to happen to their word, okay? So it would be like an extra, it would be an extra thing. I'm going to swear by the name of God so that this particular thing is going to be true. It's like extra thing. What James is saying is Jesus took care of the law. Jesus already took care of all of the requirements of the law. All you have to do is just be honest. Be honest with each other. If you can't do something, say that you can't do it. If you can do something, say yes. Just be honest, but be patient with each other. And assume the best, not the worst. The reason that somebody may be late to your meeting is because somebody ran into the back of them on Mopac. <laughs> right? It's not because they don't like you. It's not because they don't think that your, your time is important. Like, there may be something that happened. Like, think the best, not the worst. Be patient with each other. And I know that it's hard. You know how I know that it's hard? <laughs> because I'm not good at it. And basically, I'm asking for your forgiveness on those moments when I'm not patient with you. When those moments when I say, you didn't set the chair up right. I love you. I love you, and I'm making a mistake. Be patient. Be patient. Basically, this section of James right here simply says this. In those moments when you have doubt... In those moments when you have trials, in those moments when you have concern, in those moments when you have struggle, this is what James is telling you and me. Don't give up. That's what he says. Don't give up. Be steadfast. Don't give up. So let's power through the last of this, verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We, we could almost make this into a tattoo or something so that we don't forget this. Because we, we forget this one way too easy. Look what it says. Is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. If you got struggles, pray. This is what it says. If you're happy, if you're cheerful, if things are going great, sing. Like there are moments, not today, there are moments when I think every single person in this room is going through a struggle or trial because nobody is cheerful because nobody is singing. I mean, I know that hurt a little bit, but I'm being serious. Like, if, if, you've, if you're cheerful, if you're joyful, it says, I mean, this is James, not Bob, James. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Hmm. And then it says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Part of the problem is that we separate we uh, uh, separate all these different areas of our life. We have our work life, we have our fun life, we have our church life, we have our family life. And what James is saying is, it shouldn't be that way. It should be Christ in all of your life. And for some of you, sometimes the only time that you think about God is on Sunday morning. And what James is saying is, it shouldn't be that way. It should be part of your life, everything. In your family, you should be thinking about God. At your work, you should be thinking about God. When you're doing recreation, you should be thinking about God. He's saying it's more than just Sunday. And our culture has taught us that if you just go to church, drop a few bucks in the offering, that God will be pleased with you. 
And that actually isn't Christianity at all. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I want you to let me be a part of every area of your life, not just in a couple hours on Sunday. And so it says pray and sing. I think the singing part, I'm going to take a quick time out here just to talk about the singing part because I think we get a little bit confused about it sometimes. And I, and I just want to add some clarity for us. Sometimes I think that we think we, our perspective of worship is a tad bit off. I think sometimes we think that, that God, okay, I'm going to use sign language because it's easier. God is the prompter. Joey or the band, they're the performers. And you are the audience. Like that's our thought process of what worship is like. God prompts the people up here. They perform and you listen. That's not worship. Okay? Don't miss this. this is, if, if you and I can get this, it changes our perspective on worship. Okay? The way that it really should be is simply this. These people who are up here are the prompters. God is the audience. And all together, we are the performers saying, God, we love you. Do you see the difference? And I think we get it mixed up. And we think that all I have to do is show up at church and watch them sing a few songs. And it's great. But that's not worship. That's not what God intended. You're not, worship is not a spectator sport. And so when we sing praises to him, it's to God. We're performing the act of worship. We just happen to be prompted by somebody with a microphone. That's all. That's what James is telling us. Verse 15. Um, we got to hurry. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Um, those two verses specifically are talking about confession and prayer. And here's the, the one, two things that I want you to take away from this quickly. It's talking about togetherness. Like there's a popular thing. Like there's a few people who write blogs every once in a while. And we assume that because somebody writes a blog that that makes them smart. And that's actually not true at all. But we assume that. Like we read and somebody, there's a few people right now. They're saying that you don't have to go to church. Like it's, it's okay for you to, do, to worship on your own. Yes, it's okay for you to do worship on your own. But do you realize that all you do is worship on your own that you can't actually fulfill James chapter 5 verse 15 and 16. Because it requires togetherness. Like, and, and actually you could even go into verse 14 a little bit. So like, if it says, if you're sick, have the elders come and pray for you. If you don't belong to a church, what are you going to do? Just run out on the street and find some guy who looks a little bit old and say, hey, you might be an elder. Will you come pray for me? You can't do this unless you're together. So togetherness is really important. And the other thing that I think that it talks about is it talks about confession is don't pretend. Here's what church was like for me growing up. It's time to go to church. We got to get all dressed up and pretend like everything is perfect in our life. And when somebody asks us, how's everything going? Great. It could be the worst week ever. And you go to church and you pretend like everything in your life is perfect. That's how I grew up going to church. 
James is saying, don't pretend. You don't have to have it all together. And the reality is, when you say, I don't have it all together and I need your help, here I'm confessing this, will you pray for me? Will you help me? We're in this together. That's what church is about. Not looking a certain way, not acting a certain way, not saying the right things. Yet that's how I grew up going to church, pretending. Pretending like everything was okay. Verse 17, maybe my favorite two verses right here, 17. Elijah was a man with a, what does it say? Nature. Next three words. <laughs> I should have clarified. Yes, you were right, nature, yes. But I want you to do the next three words. I should have clarified. I was a bad prompter. Let me prompt you again, three words. Elijah was a man with a? Nature. It's important that you don't miss this. This dude right here is the real deal and accomplished some great things. And James says he's a guy just like you. Quickly, just because I think we need to talk. Well, I need to read the rest of it first. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So essentially what happens is he goes and he tells the king, hey, it's not going to rain. It had already not rained for six months. He goes and tells the king it's not going to rain for three, three more years. The, the king gets upset and says, ooh, I, I don't like that. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And so he runs away. Keep in mind, there's no rain. People are running out of food. And here's what happens. Don't miss this. Here's what happens. He starts camping out by this little brook, and there's a little bit of water. So he has a little bit of water to drink. So he's drinking this water. And these birds bring him food. Every day. These birds bring him food, and it's great. So he's hanging out. It's like a little camping trip, except he doesn't have to cook. And these birds are bringing him food, and he's got a little bit of water, and everything is great. And then the water dries up, and the birds stop coming. And you know what he does? He starts doubting. What's wrong? God, why don't you love me anymore? What's going on? Did I sin? Something's wrong. Why is this happening? Keep in mind, God gave him water and birds with food, and now he's freaking out. So he runs away, and he goes, and, and he, finds, he, he finds this... Uh, a lady and a son, and he says, hey, God sent me here. Can you please give me some water and something to eat? And he finds this really encouraging woman who says, you know what? I have a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and a little bit of water. It's enough for us to make one piece of bread so me and my son can die. So no, you can't have any. <laughs> and, and he says, no, really, God will help us. God will help us. And so what happens is um, each day she gets up and she makes a little bit of stuff and they eat and they drink and it's great and it goes on for a little bit and things are good. And then out of nowhere, her son gets sick and dies. And again, he starts freaking out. What happened, God? Was it my sin? Did I do something wrong? Why did this happen? This doesn't seem fair. This isn't right. And then as you continue to read part of the story, what happens is him, Elijah ends up battling um, these false gods. And what happens is he calls down from heaven fire, and it consumes everything. And then Jezebel finds out that he did that, and she says, I'm after you. And he starts running again, and he gets terrified. I just want to, just let's be really honest for a moment. If you called down fire, okay, let's back up. Birds brought you food. A lady kept making bread out of nothing. You called down fire. 
Now some woman named Jezebel, you get scared and you run away and you say, God, why, why are you doing this? Just kill me now. This is not right. This is not fair. If I brought down fire, I don't think I would ever be scared again. <laughs> James says that Elijah is a man with a nature just like yours, which means two things. You have the ability to accomplish great things when you allow God to work through you, but it also means that you're prone to doubt and question. You're prone to doubt and question. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you're there today. I'm not really sure if God is even real. I'm not sure if God was real that he would allow this to happen in my life. Like you've got those doubts and those struggles and those concerns and James says, I get that. But what I want you to know is as we read those verses, the, as we conclude James, James is simply saying we need to be about prayer, we need to be about praise, we need to be about confession, and we need to be about repentance. And you cannot do it on your own strength. And then as we conclude, it simply says this, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I'm gonna test us on, on our willingness to be honest, okay? So I'm gonna, what's gonna happen is I'm asking you a question. Don't respond yet. The question is, how many of you who are currently following Jesus have ever wandered like you've doubted, questioned, or whatever? And I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, but don't do it yet because we're gonna do it all on the count of three so you can't look around to see is it safe for me to, like I'm testing you. Are we willing to be honest? Are we willing to be sincere? Are we willing to, so I'm, and I'm gonna answer too. So if I haven't doubted a question, I'm not raising my hand. If I have doubted a question, I'm raising my hand. So we're all on the same page? Did I, is it clear? Okay. One, two, three. I, I, that's pretty close to 100%, right? Like I think there's times in our life where we have questions and there's times in our life where we have doubts and we wander. Two different kinds of wandering quickly. Like there's some of the ac accidental wandering, like oops, I don't know how I got here. <laughs> Which is... I actually didn't intend for that. I don't even know why they think that's funny. Um, but then there's the intentional wandering. Like, I'm going to show you God. So there's two different kinds of wandering, okay? And just so that you're aware of that. And what happens in the second kind of wandering is you're saying, I love my sin more than I love Jesus. Which then brings the question to my mind is, did you actually ever really love Jesus? And what James is saying is, be patient and kind and love those people. Love them. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, it simply says this, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. You could even say patient for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep, don't miss this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Yes, we're prone to wander. Yes, we have questions and doubts. But when we're together, when we love each other, and without sounding cheesy or corny, when we love God and love people, 
Love covers a multitude of sins. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. Um, to be honest, God, uh, I'm really glad that the James series is over. Um, I love it and I despise it at the same time. Because it helps me see that I have so much yet to do. And God, even if you granted me 125 years, I could read the book of James and still realize that I have so far to go. And so, God, I pray that you would convict us, that you would point us in the right direction. God, I pray that we would make right decisions because we are connected to you. God, I pray that we would love one another, that we would support each other. God, I pray that we would actually do what James suggests and that we would be patient with each other. God, as we continue to pray this morning, I can't help but be reminded of what James tells us at the very end of his book. That many times we are prone to wander. And if that's you this morning, if you have been wandering and you have questions or you have doubts, I pray that you would just be honest with God. Tell him your concerns. Confess your sins. Be real and be honest. I also pray that we would find comfort in the fact that we can confess to each other that when we are open and honest with each other, we receive support, not only from God, but from each other. And so I just want to challenge you, maybe if, if you're struggling with a specific thing, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's work, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's drugs or alcohol, maybe it's a specific relationship, would you just find somebody that you trust and just confess and and they would pray for you and they would encourage you and they would support you. God, I pray that we would be reminded that love covers a multitude of sins. And the biggest love of all was when you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Three days later, came back to life and we say thank you for grace and we say thank you for mercy. are a great God. In your righteous and holy name we pray. Amen. Uh,